0: Well, hey, today, uh, part five of our talk on Take the Land, and I've titled the message today, uh, oddly enough, of what you just said, Pastor Galen, right on spot, there will be obstacles. And he just defined brave uh, as standing in the midst of difficulty, I think is what you said, right, or standing in the midst of, of difficulty or challenges. And the whole talk today is that there will be obstacles. So I want you to be excited about this because as you follow Christ towards your promises or taking land in your life, whatever that may look like for you, there will be obstacles. So I want you to know that as we go through this journey today, there will be obstacles. An obstacle is a thing that blocks one's way or prevents or hinders progress. That's what ultimately an obstacle is. That means that as we follow Christ into the things that he has for our lives, we will face obstacles, things that try to hinder you, uh, prevent you from progressing towards the things that he has for you in fact you can reach those even right here on Sunday mornings or watching online or at some point where you you think I'm gonna get up and go and then all of a sudden something tries to hinder your progress uh, throughout the week you're trying to spend time with God alone and and children are coming in and they're they're hindering your progress you know children can be an obstacle amen and <laughs> trying to hinder your progress in faith and so we have we have these things in life whether it's practical children, financial, whatever, things that come and try to hinder our progress. There will be obstacles as we try to take the land that God has for our lives. So in this series, here's where we are, kind of recap, get us all on the same page. we will put a map up on the screen. In this series, we're walking through this journey of the Israelites, where they're pursuing taking this land. And we wanted to start with Joshua, but God said, no, let's, let's take them all through the wilderness. We've been over this for a couple of weeks now. They start up over here, way out to the western side where it says number one. You might be able to see it if you're watching online. It might be a little bit closer. But uh, they've traveled now for 40 years. They're finally going to go into to take the land. They've been waiting and hoping for this piece of property that God has promised them. But remember, it wasn't about geography. You have to remember this. You have to keep this in your heart and your mind as I teach on this today. That the whole purpose of getting this piece of property wasn't just for geography's sake. It wasn't just so that they would have a piece of land. It was ultimately that God would reveal himself to the Israelites. And then they in turn would reveal Christ to the world. The whole purpose of it was that basically they would come to know God. And they would make God known to the world around them. That's what God was after. He chose this nation to reveal himself to a world that was lost and broken. And so that was the whole point of doing this and taking this piece of property. So they go into this, they're going to enter into a town called Jericho, and they're going to cross over a river, which is what we're going to unpack today. So if you have your Bible, uh, Joshua chapter 3, that's where we're going to be at. So they're going to go and take this. Uh, A piece of property, this Jericho, but before they do, they have to cross over something, and it's the Jordan River. And this is where I want us to camp out on for today and just talk a little bit about this Jordan River. All right, so here's a picture of a Jordan River. May or may what it looked like then or close to, I don't know, but this is a snapshot of the actual Jordan River. It's not that big. If you've never been to Israel, I have not yet been, but I do know that it's not as big as you think like the Mississippi. It's actually quite Uh, narrow. Uh, At best, most of the time, it gets somewhere between 50 to 75 feet wide. So, on average, about 60 feet wide. So, it's not too uh, big as far as width. The depth isn't too bad. It's like only 17 feet deep at some of its deepest points. So, it's not this massive river that you might project in your mind. It's actually fairly narrow. And so, actually, I think there's another map that we have that shows where it goes up from the mountain. Uh, Herman at the very top. If you can go to that one, yeah. So that actually, you, it's kind of hard for you to make out, I know. But the very, very top of the screen, you see Mount Herman. Uh, this river starts there. It travels to the Sea of Galilee first. It's about like a 15 to 20 mile distance. Then it goes from the Sea of Galilee all the way down to the very bottom to the Dead Sea. That's about a 60 mile trip. But all in all, through all the curves, the whole river travels about 200 miles. The point of saying all that to say to you is that this is a river that descends. That's actually where the name Jordan comes from. Jordan means to descend or to go down. And so it starts at 9,000 feet elevation, which is where Mount Hermon is. And it drops all the way down to about 1,400 feet below sea level. So you have this descending river. And all of that is going to matter in context and where we teach from today. Because as this thing travels down from a height of 9,000 feet above sea level down to 1,400 feet below sea level, at a short, narrow path, you get a lot of flowing water. And at flood stage, the speed of this actually makes it one of the fastest flowing rivers in flood stage of this size of a river, this narrow. It all kind of builds up. And because of the the river being at flood stage, all this goes into context of what we're going to unpack today. So here's you have, if you go back to the first map we had uh, just a minute ago, you have the Israelites on the east side of the river, and then you have the Canaanites on the west side. So they're going to cross this Jordan River, and they're going to try to take this land from the Canaanites. A couple of things I want you to know about the Canaanites, the people living in this land. The Canaanites had descended from Noah, the grandson uh, named Canaan. And this was a cursed nation because uh, a couple of years prior, a generation before, uh, Canaan and his father had seen, and Canaan had seen his grandfather uh, naked, which was a, a curse. And so the nation is cursed. They become a wicked and adulterous community. And they end up worshiping another God uh, outside of the God that we know as Elohim. They worship a God named Baal. And so, here's a picture of Baal, by the way. We'll talk about him. We'll leave him on the screen. So, he had this nation uh, of Canaan, this group of people who worshiped this god of Baal. And Baal was one of the most powerful god that they believed. He was actually a god who defeated the god of the storms. He defeated the god of lightning. He defeated the god of rain. So, this was a god who had all power. This is the god that they worshiped. And this is who Canaan is, the people of Canaan. They're this wicked, idolatrous people. And of course, the reason that God is going to uh, work through the Israelites is to ensure that the world will know who God is. And that this is not God, but there's one God. And he's powerful over all things. And so that's the whole reason why he decides to send this nation of Israel over the Jordan and into the land of Canaan to take land there so that they would come to know him. So I want you to know that as they see this God, what's important is that this was symbolic of water. This was the God of water. And so for the land of Canaan, the people living there, they would have uh, just really had a lot of faith in the fact that there was this river that was around them that you had to cross over to get to them. And sure enough, if this river's at flood stage, no need to worry. Our God Baal will protect us. He will watch over us. He's the God of water. And he's the God that his water is, is allowing us to have all the nutrients we need and the soil that we need in order to produce the crops that we have. And they've got a rich land flowing with milk and honey, right? All of these kinds of wonderful uh, fruit and vegetation that we have is all because of Baal. And that's what they believed. And so we're thankful for him. And he's the God of the waters, so he's in control. So if anybody tries to cross that water, well, our God Baal will step in. And so if this river is at flood stage, we'll be protected because we serve this God and he is God. And so that is exactly where the group of Canaan is. And that's important because as they cross over, we're going to learn some things about this that's important for you to see the the dichotomy. These two contrasting, you have the Israelites on one hand trusting God and on the other side you have Canaan trusting their God. And God ultimately is going to say, I'm God. And that's what the reason that he does what he does through uh, the miracle of this Jordan River. So there's some context a little bit. So they're going to pass through uh, this body of water. Now. For most of us today, uh, we hear of the Jordan River and we start to think about Jesus' baptism or we start thinking about people wearing some white robes or taking a, a travel trip over there. And for us, the Jordan River has a little sacred. It has a little tradition to it because people travel there all over the world to go and get baptized. You can be baptized four times in your life. You're like, but hey, I'm here at the Jordan. I got to get baptized. And so take photos and selfies and all kinds of stuff in the Jordan River because for us, it's like tradition. It's powerful. It's, it's powerful. It's meaningful. And to the land of Canaan, the reason why we're showing the picture of Baal on the screen is because for them, it was absolutely symbolic in the same way. It was something to be revered. It was something that had power to it. it and it's something that, you know, our God is, is there. It was uh, sacred to them. This, this body of water, this river was sacred. This is our holy God because this is our God. He's over this body of water. Now to the Israelites, here's what I want you to know. The Jordan River wasn't sacred at all. Actually, from the Israelites' perspective, it was a barrier. This is something to cross over. It was an obstacle. Something in the way of where I'm trying to get to. Something in the way that's trying to prevent me from getting to the place that God is leading me to. And this is an obstacle that they're going to have to cross over. And that's all it was to the Israelites at this time. They wouldn't have been taking selfies in this body of water. For them, it it meant nothing other than... This is going to be another challenge that we're going to have to overcome in this journey of taking the land that God has promised for us. And so after hearing from God, Joshua decides to go and tell the nation, hey, time, it's time to suit up. Let's start packing up all of our stuff. It's time to get going. It's time to go across this river to face the obstacle that's in front of us. And we're going to have to confront all the things that are on the other side as well. But we've got to take our first step. We've got to start moving towards it. So he tells the nation, God is going to be with us. I've heard from God. He quotes back to them what God has been speaking. He says, God says it's time to pack up. Today's the day. We've got to go. And he begins to instruct them what he wants them to do. One of the things that he tells the leading priests at the time, the people who were going to be in front, he says, I want you to carry the ark, which was symbolic for the presence of God. In other words, God is going to go first, uh, the priest will go along with God, and they're going to stand in the midst of the Jordan River. And then I want you to wait, and then once it dries out, then you'll be able to cross over. So he tells them what God has spoken. The Israelites say, let's go, let's do this, it's time. Joshua chapter 3 verse 15 is where we'll pick up. It says, so now the Jordan is at flood stage, all during harvest. So it's spring season, so the river's at flood stage. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing and it piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zetheran. While the water flowing down to the sea of the Arba, which is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. Just letting us know how it kind of got dried up at the top about 20 miles north. It gets cut off in some way. So the water stops flowing down and then goes down to the Red Sea or the Dead Sea. So you had this gap of about 40 to 60 miles where it becomes dry, which allows the million or two million Israelites to cross. Just paints the picture. Verse 17, it says, or verse 16, so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Verse 17, the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. While all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on the dry ground. So here's a couple of things I want us to consider as they take a step into this Jordan River. Number one, I want you to remind you that this river is at flood stage. If you would show the first photo of the Jordan River. When we think about crossing the Jordan River, it's one thing to cross. Uh, go back to the, the first one, the very, the very first one without the flooding waters. Yeah that one looks a lot nicer to cross, doesn't it? And as I unpack the teaching, I feel like God put on my heart for our church today and for you and for me. This is what we would rather cross, isn't it? Isn't it so common for us to say, well, I'll move once God makes it look like that. Whenever the water is nice and easy and a little more smooth and the weather's nice outside, once God clears the path, we often say this language. Once God, I'll know it's God once the path is cleared. Then I'll go. But that's not what the Israelites were going to be told to do. Think about this. You're told, hey, it's spring. It's time to get going. Whoa, 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 Joshua. The river's at flood stage. Why don't we wait till summertime? Let's wait till wintertime. Let's wait at a time that it looks more like that. Wouldn't that be wiser? Wouldn't it be more, like, intelligent of us to cross this river whenever it's a little more smooth? Again, go back to the photo of the flood. We have two pictures of a flood. These are not the actual photos just to shock you. Obviously not. But uh, go back to the, the ones where they're flooding. This is the Jordan River at flood stage. We should have a second one, I think. Okay, let's just leave that one there. Cause that, and that might be totally Photoshopped. I don't know. But it gives the picture. Okay, here's what we do know it's likely that the width of this river at flood stage went from 60 feet wide to about a mile feet wide. When all of this river is flowing at flood stage, it's at a whole different level. Remember the title of the message? There will be obstacles in your life if you're going to take a hold of God's promises for your life. You will face obstacles all the time. And for many of us, we faced obstacles like this, and it felt like this, but God calls us to move forward nonetheless. So just consider the fact that they're crossing. So just leave that photo up there so that it just kind of sticks in your brain of what they're trying to cross as I unpack these next two thoughts for you to consider. Number two. Second thing I want you to consider is the fact that many of these people, if that not every single one of them, had never had a swim lesson. These generation had grown up in a desert. Now, I know, you, I know about you that there's some people that I know who, anybody know somebody that's afraid of swimming? Just fear of water, fear, can't swim? People in our world today who can't swim, are terrified of water, won't even get in a boat with life jackets. I want you to consider an entire nation who never had a swim lesson, never swam in their life. And this is what they're going to be asked to cross. Just think practically trying to get a million people who've never swam to cross a river like this. With no ropes. No zip lines. Maybe there was a couple of guys or maybe a couple of ladies who could jump really far. But for the most, they were going to have to do something never done before. Right? At least in their mind. That's what they thought. That's what they saw. Now, of course, they crossed on dry ground because they can't swim. So God makes a way. But for the, the mind, as they're sitting there, I'm just trying to get you to think about, imagine sitting there on the Edge of this maybe hill where you could see this Jordan River, and you start to think about these things. Certainly, if you were there as one of the Israelites, these thoughts may have crossed your mind. Third thing I want you to consider what if they drown? What if they don't make it across? What if some do, some don't? Think about all the things that could have been going through their mind. For the Israelites, that wouldn't have been the worst case scenario going to the bottom of the river. Because they believed that the devil, they believed that Satan lived in the abyss. It was their belief that it was Satan who lived in the bottom of the water. That if you were to go down to the bottom of the water to be in the abyss, that would be like being in Hades, right there being in hell. So for them, that's worst case scenario. Not just dying, but going down to the, to the depth of the abyss and being where Satan resides. A whole nother level of concern if you would. Certainly opportunity to be afraid, no question about it. Fourth thing I want you to consider, just consider what's at stake. You have a whole nation going to take a piece of property in order to help the people that are behind them to get to where God wants them to go. Think about what's at stake. Think about family legacy. Why do I say family legacy? I don't know about you, but I'm I'm certain this just makes sense from the Israelites' perspective. They had seen millions of deaths. Millions of funerals have passed. Because remember, one of the things that happened was no one in the first generation who had sinned and disobeyed God could be allowed to enter into the promised land. So every single one of them had to die first. That means all the million people or whatever it was that left from Egypt all had to die. And then all their children had to grow up and do all those funerals. So think about all the conversations that would have occurred between uh, a son and a mom and a dad or a grandparent, and uncle. And just think about all those conversations happening as they're burying their dead family members. Certainly wanting to carry on legacy. Think about all the conversations that might have occurred between a a son to his father. Son, hey, make sure we've learned as we go on, God's going to be faithful to us. But don't do it. Don't disobey him. Follow and do what he says to do. Think about all those conversations that we don't hear about that would have occurred in Scripture. Certainly, all those things that would have happened. Family legacies on the line. Children or people trying to pursue the things that their parents had started out, that they were going to be sure that they would accomplish and finish. Think about Joshua and Caleb, who 40 years prior to this had said, we can do this. But because of a whole nation said, no, we can't, Joshua and Caleb also have to wait 40 more years. They've been waiting 40 years. They were ready to go the first time around. But because of a few people saying, no, we can't make it, they also had to wait an additional 40 years. Think about their own lives, where they've been trying to get to this whole thing 40 years prior. They've been waiting 40 years for this moment. They were going to finally have freedom from slavery. So much at stake. And the fifth thing I want you to consider as we think about what's at stake of crossing this Jordan River is the revelation of God to a lost world. This is an entire world who'd worship false gods. If you go to the south in Egypt, they worship false gods. If you go into Mesopotamia, they worship false gods. And yet God is saying, I'm coming in to make my presence known that the world would know that there is one God and there is one God above all. I am king above all kings and there's one Lord over life and that is me. That's his whole purpose of sending this nation of Israel. There's a lot at stake. Of course, you and I get the luxury of knowing that what's also at stake is, dare I say, the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and his birth and all that transpires throughout history, all based off of one of these acts of obedience that's going to happen in this moment where these priests step into water. It's just, just a lot riding on the line. But in a very practical way, this was no tiptoe step. That's what I want you to see. This wasn't like, well, I'll put the water's edge, and we can kind of lose that, that if I put my foot in the water and it doesn't pan out, uh, we'll be okay, we'll figure out another way. I don't think that's what is really being depicted here. Truth is, this is the picture of what they're trying to step into. In other words, once you make this step, it's a massive step of commitment, and there is no going back. It's it's a, I'm in, and once I'm in, I'm not going to have an opportunity to get back out. In fact, if you go read to Joshua chapter 3, which I encourage you to do, it's incredible. One of the things that God says to do is, I want you to go to the middle of the river. So yeah, once I put my first step in, just think about this. It starts to part. But then I want you to keep stepping. And as you step, then the river will begin to slow down and begins to begin to fade. And you'll get to the middle and then you have to stand in the middle of it while you let the people cross over. You're going to have to stand in the midst of your difficulty and keep standing. And just think about the concern and fear you'd have if you're standing in the middle of the river, just thinking, what if it just starts to rush through at any given moment? I would be saying, let's hurry up. Let's hurry. Let's go run. You can imagine what these men or women would have been facing as they overcome and step into this river. All of this history that we read about This word, all these things hinged on just a few men stepping into a river with an ark, the presence of God with them. There was an entire world and culture that they were going to have to confront, by the way, and battle, and it all hinged on these men stepping into this body of water. And here's what's most incredible that stood out to me. They did not have it all figured out. They had no idea exactly how it was going to happen. If you read through the promises that God gives them, all he says is, I'll give you everywhere you place your foot. And you'll conquer the land. You'll conquer these Canaanites and Jebusites. and You're going to conquer this land. But he doesn't unfold the fullness of the story in every detail. He just gives them the big picture. And here's what he says in short. I'll be with you. So just start going. And they're told to go, and the word go, dare I say, was enough. So Joshua tells the Israelites, he said go, it's time, we must go. I think there's a faith lesson that we can learn in this whole thing, that we think about if God wants to do something in my life, there's something we can learn from this lesson, and it's what I want you to grab a hold of today, and it's simply this. There will be obstacles that you have to cross in life to take a hold of what God has for you. There will be obstacles that you have to face and overcome. If you want to take God's promises the whole of your life, if God has spoken something to your heart at some point in your life, if whatever promises you read in Scripture, there will be many obstacles that you will have to cross. And I promise you that he will clear, he will clear the way. He will. But he only does that after you take the first step. So I want you to wrap your head around this again. You have to take the first step. And I want to push on this tension because I hear from this so often, so many people. Well, I'll know it's God when the door opens. As long as, if the door opens, then I'll know. And I, and I get that and I understand there's times where God clears a path and then we kind of know that it's, it's to walk through. But I have a whole nother picture that I see truth in scripture. And that is, God doesn't rarely ever open the door until you knock first or until you start stepping first, or until you start going first. And dare I say, he would have never parted the water unless they made the first step. And I couldn't help but to be moved or just kind of in my spirit, my heart today for many people, maybe some of you watching online or here in the room, I just thought, how many people are standing on the east side of the river still to this very day? They're, they're standing on the brink and the edge. And because of how it looks, you know, in the water. It just looks like this seems impossible financially. How could we ever take that leap of faith? It just seems unwise. Let's wait until we have enough money in the bank account. Then we'll make the shift. And then they stand there waiting for this water to part. While God's waiting on many to say, no, it's time for you to step in first. I'll make the invite. I'll have the conversation. When they call, just all the things that keep people from holding on to their promises. I want to picture you, just go there with me for a minute. Are you standing on the east side of the Jordan? Where where you just, you remain standing there, waiting on God to do something, and yet God is simply waiting on you. And I can't help but to think about how many people get stuck and spend their whole life on the east side of the Jordan River. And certainly experiencing God's grace in their life and salvation. But simply because they don't see how, they never take the first step. I can promise you God will lead the way in your life. If you give him your life, he will lead the way. But I will also promise you, in most cases, you'll be required to take the first step. And that first step could be a conversation A job change. And and by the way, these steps you take, they're going to be challenging and difficult. They're not going to be easy first steps. In fact, Jesus would say, before you take the step of follow me, count the cost. It's going to cost you everything. And then yet, God in his grace says, I want you to take the first step. Because that's actually how you get to know me. Because I prayed about this even this morning. I just thought, man, God, I know why you put obstacles in our path. He said, yeah, why? Mm -hmm. He's teaching me. Because that's how you reveal yourself to me. In fact, I've got to know you the best in the midst of all of my obstacles. He said, yep, that's right. It's in the obstacles. It's like James, the brother of Jesus. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, Right? Because this, in the trials and in these situations, it's in the midst of the obstacles in life that God begins to come through and you begin to realize who he really is. But the reality is you don't come to know who he really is until you take the first step in the midst to the obstacle. obstacle. So in other words, I've got to get into the obstacle, sometimes suffer in the obstacle in order to discover who God really is. We don't like that. We'd rather have, go back to the first picture of the Jordan River. We like to have the path paved the way. Show me all the signs. Make it all clear. Make it all straight. That God will direct me in the nice and easy. That's not the the God we find in Scripture at all. Just as the Israelites, each of us, I believe, has a river to cross. At some point, you'll be asked, if not many points in your journey with Christ, to cross a Jordan. And some of you today, I know, you're on the edge of a Jordan. There's an obstacle. Whatever that may be. Could be faith, could be all kinds of things. Practical things, relational things, financial things. You will have obstacles on your journey. And only you can decide whether or not you'll be willing to take the step of faith and trust what God has spoken. Not knowing all the things on the other side. And that's where God does his marvelous work. That's where he does his greatest work. Oftentimes is in the mix in the midst of our steps of faith and to the obstacles that he leads us to, which is a whole nother thing that he leads us to the obstacle. God refused to act until they got their feet wet. And he asks us to respond to his calling by taking a committed first step. A committed step. I'm in. Right. So today, there are many Jordan Rivers, I believe, that hold Christians back from their calling. And today, my encouragement to you today is whatever that step might be for you to take the phone call, to make the call, to make the switch, to make the job change, to go in after the thing that God has spoken to you years ago, whatever that might be, my hope for you is as you hear the Lord speak to you, is that you'd be willing to jump into the midst of the obstacle, trusting that God will provide along the way. But it won't happen until you take the first step. Uh, invited the, the band to sing for just a few minutes. And uh, we'll invite the prayer team up front. And I want to invite you to stand to your feet if you would as we close out. And I don't know if there's an obstacle in your way. And I would love to tell you, God's going to part the waters and leave you here going, Woo! God is going to part all my waters it's to be perfect. That's not the title of the message today. The title of the message is, There Will Be an Obstacle. In fact, some of you right now, literally, the obstacle is just taking a step and getting prayed for. And that feels terrifying to you. If you can't take a step forward and have somebody pray with you, you cannot cross the Jordan River. Just that might be your step. If you would just close your eyes right where you are. Father, I can see the picture of many of your children on any side of the Jordan. And you're inviting us today to cross, to take a step of faith into what you have for us. And God, I pray that now, as there are some here watching online or here in person and making a decision to take a step and put a, their foot in the water, trusting for your provision. God, I trust you. And I just pray they have the courage to take this step. Maybe for you it's to take a step to follow Jesus, to say yes to him for the first time. Say, yeah, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to come back to my relationship with you. I'm going to get some things right in my life, and I want to follow you and, and do what you said. Maybe it's a promise he spoke long ago, and you're thinking it's time to start doing it. Maybe there's something that you know your heart is literally burning to see this thing happen you really feel like you're supposed to do it believe it maybe you need to get some trusted people to, can, uh, you know, to come into an agreement with you on it you know, that's what we're here to pray with you about wherever you are my encouragement to you is to know that there will be obstacles and I can promise you if you take the first step towards God's promises over your life he will make the path straight he will clear the way and He will lead you every single place that he's called you to. But it's going to be your step that he calls on first.